welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Jerry Springer. Oh, oh, oh. Gosh, guys. Thank you. So, um, once again, where, where's Megan? Well, Megan is on a cruise. In, uh, she was on a cruise for the last broadcast. I know. She's, uh, she's, they're cruising pretty far, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, there's some things coming up. One of them involves Megan. She has to be back for this. We have this promotion called uh, Would You Like to Date Megan? And Megan is available. She's not married. She dates around. She's on a cruise. She's well, going to meet 50 guys. All right. Well, if she still is unattached when she gets back, there is another guy. There's if she's finished. unattached, by the time she gets back from a cruise, she is a loser. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, but anyway, Megan, uh, there is a guy that wants another guy, I should say, that wants to date Megan. And the way this works if it's the first time you've heard of this, is Jerry and I are vetting these guys. We're like the uh, crazy uncles that are like, you got to get past us. And when Megan finally selects a guy to do the date with, the date is to a restaurant in this vicinity. My wife and I will be on the date, sort of European, Spanish, or Italian chaperones. You know how that would work? They kind of walk behind you. If you saw The Godfather, you saw it in Sicily. Gene, you need and, to get a life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's the only way I'm going to get a free meal. Dead. And I got a GoPro, you know, on my ball cap, so I'm watching the date. So anyway, we got that coming. Then there's this state senator, Tip Kemper, who persistently calls our show with these very innovative ideas. And he, we, I am arranging to come on in the future. His latest idea is a, is a state bill that would require all women to wear burqas. And we'll talk about that in a, a future episode because uh, he uh, has, and Springer's looking. Well, anyway, no, I'm not gonna speak for him. I'm not representing the idea. Uh, but that is coming. Hey, I want to show you something, I'm sorry, Jerry. I thought it was living in America, but go ahead. No, you are. Uh, I want to grab here. It's leaning up against the wall, and this is a podcast, audio only, no visual. But I'm holding what is a cigar box. Yeah. Legitimately, it's a cigar box. And someone, who happens to be in the uh, audience here, in fact, he's sitting on our left, made this. And I'll tell you, the reason I want us to talk to Dan about this is that, and we mentioned in a couple previous episodes, we're going to Cuba to go down there on behalf of the podcast and get some music, record some music, do some interviews. And you and I both are cigar smokers, and I'm real anxious to buy whatever legal amount I can buy in Cuba and bring back. And there is, according to the new rules in America, that you can buy X amount of dollars of cigars. So I want to get a box of Cuban cigars, bring them back, yeah. and see if Dan would then make one of these for me. And you may want to do the same thing because he builds these. Dan, tell us a little bit about this and how you came to uh, building small guitars. Uh, I was just uh, on the Internet one day, like a lot of people do, and uh, I happened to come across a few pictures of other people that were building them. And... Uh, 
my father-in-law passed away not uh, too awful long ago, and I don't know if you remember Often Camp Hardware is on Central Park. In the Har- Cincinnati Central Parkway, yeah. yeah. Well-known hardware, well, so old you, school. If you remember, when you go in the store, behind the counter was all these wooden drawers that had hardware parts in them, and uh, my father-in-law ended up with about 30 of them. And I made three of them, one for my son, Alex, and one for my nephew, Scotty, and one for myself, just so they can, in remembrance of the grandpa. And from there, it went what to... Neat idea. Nice. From there, it went to cigar boxes. And, uh, can I do something, uh, this is sort of an impromptu, but it, Maria Corelli, who is a barista here at the Folk School Coffee Parlor, let's give her a round of applause. And Maria, I'm going to have you come over to where Dan is sitting and maybe even swap seats with him. And I'm going to ask Maria, Dan is not a guitarist, and, uh, but that guitar, now that's actually a three-string yeah, guitar. Yeah, it three strings, yeah. And Dan makes them both three-string and four-string, three-string or four-string, and they both work, correct, uh, Maria? Yeah. And uh, do something on it. Just give us an idea of what you can do with a three-string guitar made out of a cigar box. All righty. Damn, that's smoking. <laughs> Maria Corelli. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan Havlin. Dan, thank you very much for uh, letting us oh, yeah, know that, about those. Cool. And um, yeah. when we Where come, can people go to get them? Yeah, can people? All right. So if you, oh, and wow. he's not near a mic, but let me relay that. If you're interested in one of these done by Dan, and if you come to the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky, if you're ever traveling through the Midwest, right at the end of the I-75 bridge. And it's real easy to get here and be cool to come just see this really authentic, interesting place and uh, put an order in for a cigar box guitar. And I think it would be really cool actually to have Cuban cigar box guitars and then we'll find out if that's illegal in America. I'm thinking it's probably gonna be okay. So, uh, hey Jerry, I I wanted to- Yes, uh, Gene? Complain. <laughs> about something we're all we're always you and I and, and maybe this is because Megan's not here and you know Megan's away the guys will play and so we're sports guys you I'm obsessed with college basketball specifically my team where I graduated got my master's degree I've been an adjunct professor all at Xavier University in Cincinnati oh you didn't get to go to college I <laughs> see you see what I'm saying <laughs> now their basketball team this year, and they're always good. They were in the yeah. Sweet 16 last yeah, year. They've been in the Sweet 16 regularly uh, and lead eight before that. So their basketball team this week is, what, five in one poll, six in another poll. So they're really good. By the way, they may They be, do well in the polls. They do. They do well with polls. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And it made me think of something. Uh, they don't I, do so well with Czechoslovakians, but they do great with polls. Yeah, uh, yeah that's what I was thinking. So I went to... Uh, I went to a basketball game at Xavier, and I wanted to mention this to you. That's why you, we couldn't broadcast. That's why we couldn't do this uh, There podcast. are some, some nights on Tuesday we can't do a podcast because there's a game, and I have season tickets. But I went to a game, and I wasn't even in my season tickets, and there's this big rivalry, Xavier University and University of Cincinnati in college basketball. Locally, it's called the Crosstown Shootout. They make a big deal out of it. It gets a lot of pub, actually, nationally as one of these classic rivalries. 
I went to a game uh, recently when that rivalry was happening, and near me there was a seat empty. And now this is one of those games where there should be not one seat empty. Every person is either going to sit in a seat they bought or someone else is going to sit in that seat that they gave the ticket to. Empty seat. I leaned over strictly out of curiosity, and I said to a guy, wow, that, and it's like two minutes before tip. The seat's empty, and he says, bad story. What? And he says, my wife sat in that seat for 34 years as an avid follower of this basketball team along with me. And she died. And so that seat is empty. And I'm thinking, well, the guy's saying now this is a memorial to her to leave it empty. It's kind of a cool thing. You know, like the riderless horse when, what, when Ted Ken or, uh, President Kennedy died in the funeral. And I, I shouldn't have said this, but I did. I said, I mean, still, couldn't you have gotten either some close friend or relative or loved one of hers to use a seat? He says, no, they're all at her funeral. No, so, what, I tell you what happens and then that's what you do? Oh, I just told you what happened. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. That was good. <laughs> that was pretty that good. Was good. Now, what site do you go to on the internet to get those? Ladies and gentlemen, it's called show prep. Professionals do show preparation. You come in here, you get a fresh joke, you turn it into some stupid story, and you do something. He never, he has a personal assistant who could sit for all day long on Tuesdays and look up jokes on the internet. What's the deal? It would be stolen. Yeah, that's probably true. Unlike, you know, the, the guy who I was standing outside and I'm coming in. And really? He, yeah, and he, he put his hands in my pocket. I are said, you serious? Yeah, this I said, is what true? are you doing? He says, I need some change. I said, why didn't you ask me? He says, I don't talk to strangers. <laughs> Hmm. You know, speaking of sports, my passion is Xavier basketball, and this is true, and Jerry's passion uh, is Major League Baseball. It's a huge deal. By the way, let's hype our podcast on, I believe it's April 2nd, in the uh, Covington area, in a very historic part of Covington, Kentucky, right across the river from Cincinnati. The folk school coffee parlor people do a thing called the Whispering Beard Folk Festival. And those same people, they're all the same people tied together, great, yeah. great people. They're doing a home run derby two days before opening day of the Cincinnati Reds, and they're going to do a wiffle ball home run derby. It's going to be very cool. That was like the biggest thing at the All-Star Game, which was in Cincinnati last summer, was the home run derby event. So our podcast will be there as part of that, and I'm really looking forward to that. Are you entering? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do. Yeah, I'll, I'll swing. I'll swing in the home home run I derby. I will beat you like a rented mule. I think mule. you probably will. I think you probably will. Made me think of a time when uh, you were giving speeches around Ohio politically just a few years ago, and I was along as the entourage of one. You know, talk to that guy over there, and. Uh, I will tell you that Jerry, and this is true, is incredibly gracious. He is amazingly friendly and courteous no matter how tired he is. He never, ever says no to an autograph, a photo. But there was a night in a bar in Cleveland. Do you remember that night? Yeah, and well, and some other thing jumped out. Something dark inside of you jumped out. <laughs> Do you want to tell what happened? 
Yeah, it was 2004. And um, the Yankees were, oh no, it probably was 2003. I'm sorry. The Yankees were playing the Red Sox in the playoffs. And it was the last game of the playoffs, and the winner of that game would go on to the uh, World Series. So anyway, uh, it's now in the ninth inning, and the Yankees were losing by two or three runs. Somehow, they tied it up. We come into the this bar. I'd finished the speech. We're just going to drink. And, oh, great. The game's on television. Yep. I just wanted to see this. But... You know, you walk into a bar, and if, if you're known or whatever, people are going to be nice. They come up. They want pictures. They want to talk and all that. But this is the ninth inning. Yeah. In fact, this is – no, now, now this is the bottom of the ninth or the bottom of the tenth. I honestly don't remember. But it was the Yanks had tied it up. And now they start and, – and they had no hope during the game. They were losing by so much. They just managed to tie it up in the last inning. Now Aaron Boone comes up in the bottom of the ninth or the bottom of the tenth, and whoever wins this game is going to the World Series, and it's against the hated Boston Red Sox if you're a Yankee fan or whatever. So this was everything. And these people, this is Cleveland. Yeah. They hate the Yankees. Yep. You know, they're on American. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I'm trying to watch. And these young ladies come over, and they were drinking, and they're, you know, they're sitting down, come on, take a picture, and they're putting their arms around you. What? And I kind of lost it. And, and I was very rude. I, I, I you know, I, and, and she, oh, come on, one picture, one picture. But Aaron Boone is up. And, and I just turned to it. It was horrible. It was very impolite. I said, please go away. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, just that's pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> And everyone at the table was startled. Yeah. And then Aaron Boone hit the home run. Yeah, he did. And the Yankees, yep. Yeah. That was the the next year the Red Sox won the World Series. Do you but. think that decorum ends in the bottom of the ninth? Is that the takeaway yes. from this? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. God gives you if, a pass. If in it's, the bottom of and the And being a Yankee fan is the only part of me that is Republican. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the Yankees, have they spend all the money. They wear the pinstripe suits. There's a sense of entitlement. You know, it's rooting for the Yankees. I get a little bit of the karma of uh, Dick Cheney. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can, you know, two or three hours a day, I can know what it's like to be him. And then the game's over and I go back to being a human being. Yeah. But uh, no, that's unfair. That's unfair. That's unfair. You know, since you brought up politics, and I know that recently uh, you spent some time in Iowa and you're doing reports. You're covering the, pres- the American presidential elections for a TV station in London. Right. Sort of the counterpart of the Today Show, I guess you would say, or yeah. Good Morning America. In fact, one of the anchors of the morning show, as a side note, is uh, Piers Morgan. Oh, uh, really? Piers Morgan was the guy that uh, took over from Larry King on yeah. CNN. Show. And I got to know Piers and become very friendly with him. Um, mm-hmm. On uh, America's Got Talent, he was one of the judges and when I was hosting it. And so, anyway, he's hosting that now. And uh, he's pretty political, too. But anyway, yeah, and, 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 I'm, and I'm covering it for British television. For and that sense. will include, I would assume, like the Democratic Convention yeah. and, and some other important primaries. That's, that's actually very cool. We become the beneficiary of that. Unless there's a Yankee game that game. Unless there's that a Yankee game. game. Yeah. 
and it's kind of on their dime, it sounds like, but you get to come back and we pick your brain here about what you experienced. And you and I had a conversation recently that I, I thought, man, you ought to uh, talk that out a little bit with our audience here, and that is uh, what you think uh, Bernie Sanders represents on the Democratic side and, what, and how that contrasts with the messages of some of the other candidates, maybe more than just one, on the Republican side. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, everyone, you know, I'm the one millionth person to say it, but the issue this year, which I believe has been inevitable, I always thought, I didn't always think, but I'm looking back now in hindsight, I've been saying that Donald Trump was inevitable, that uh, for the last 35 years, two things have happened. Ronald Reagan said... Um, Government can't fix the problem. Government is the problem. And that was the beginning of a movement, certainly within the Republican Party and with uh, the country, that we have raised a generation of Americans believing that Washington is horrible, government is horrible, total disrespect for the president, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, Worse things are said about our government by Americans than you ever hear overseas. And there is this real dislike, I won't say hatred, dislike of anything that is, you know, having to do with Washington. And it's not even rational because obviously there are many things that government does that thank God they do it because no one else would do it. And not everyone that goes into politics is a crook any more than anyone that goes into business is a crook, okay? Some very good, hardworking people that care very much uh, about the country or want to do a very good job, you know? The guy that carries your mail, brings the mail, you know, he's a government employee, probably works very hard, you know? And not for a hell of a lot of money. So, but anyway, the Republicans have made this kind of thing in every television commercial you see, which, by the way, the Democrats have done now as well, but virtually every political commercial, 99% of them are how the other guy is a bum, a crook, a pervert, he'll raise your taxes, do terrible things to your children, whatever. It's all negative. So we can't be surprised that a generation of Americans, particularly young people now, grow up thinking, well, politics? I mean, who thinks politics is an honorable profession anymore? You know, when I was young, politics was an honorable profession. I remember John Kennedy saying that. And it was like, wow, this is the greatest thing. What a wonderful thing to go into, help your country. We'll put a man on the moon. Uh, there's nothing, you know, we can't do if we put our minds to it. Very positive. And all of a sudden now, everything with government... You know, when Reagan started with, I'll get government off your backs, it was always, you know, government is horrible, horrible, horrible. Okay. In that environment, can we be surprised, and you couple that together, by the way, with technology and the development of the social media. So it was inevitable that eventually people would run for office that would run purely on being anti-government against these horrible villains that are in Washington. That was inevitable. And so we get it. Now, because of the social media, there is a blurred line between politics and entertainment. 
So if you're going to get someone outside of politics to run for office on the platform of I'm not part of Washington and I'll change it or I'll destroy it and do away with it, it's not unthinkable that you would get someone in the entertainment field. With social media today, that's how you run for office, by the way. It's not going to ward meetings anymore, precinct meetings. You go on The Tonight Show. And, you, you know, John Stewart, or, you, you know, you, you tell jokes, you do, it's, it's all this, you know, and you, you get a Twitter account, and you, you know, Donald Trump has run his entire campaign by tweeting. So none of it is shocking. We all now, all the pundits are saying, how the heck did Donald Trump get to this position? But 20 years from now, historians will look back at this and see that what has happened in America, in the political world, was absolutely inevitable. We should have seen it coming. And it's not just in the Republican Party. You see it in the Democratic Party with Bernie Sanders. Someone, at least politically on the outside, even though he's been a politician his whole life, but as a, you know, his party's Democratic Socialist Party, and now he's running in Democratic primaries. But someone clearly on the outside, because there is in America disrespect for the government and an anger, an anger at all institutions, because of media today, all institutions are being challenged, whether it's the church, the banks, whether it's the government, whether it's educational institutions, the media. If you're big, if you're powerful, if you're an institution, you are disliked, you are, and horrible things are said about you, even though the chances are 90% of the people that are in each of these things are probably pretty good people. But we just distrust everything. Now, so we know that there's anger and distrust in America. Now what's the difference between the Republican and the Democratic Party? Because this is what's going to happen in the next 20 years, I believe. On the Republican side, the anger is simply to stop it, do away with government, do away with programs, tighten the bell so much that we literally squeeze out of existence various programs. So the Republicans, all of them now, are running on cutting the budget, doing away with Obamacare, threatening Medicare, uh, you know, certain states saying we're not going to sign up for Medicaid. I mean, whatever it is, no gun legislation. Whatever it is, we don't want to do it anymore. So it's not like any Republican is running for office with proposals about what to do. Every one of their speeches is about what they're going to cut out. There's not even a program we can have a debate about. Every one of the candidates is saying, we won't do this anymore. So the anger is expressed by, go away. On the Democratic side, the anger is expressed in programs to do something better. And I'm not being partisan. It's Bernie Sanders. And what Bernie Sanders is calling for is, in his words, a revolution. And what he is saying is that the economy in America is rigged against middle and lower income Americans. And it is kept in power by corrupt campaign finance laws. So that the cost of running is so expensive that 
a few people with huge amounts of money can basically, whether it's the Koch brothers or whoever, can basically decide who the candidates are going to be and who's going to have money, unless you're Trump and you got it yourself. And they will, you will, they will be able to buy a Congress, buy a Senate, buy a president, they're trying to, that will keep their interests, the wealthy interests, in power. This is Bernie Sanders saying that, and the only way it can be changed, and what Bernie Sanders is saying is he believes that health insurance in America should be a right, not a privilege, a right. Everyone should have it simply by being a human being. He says the minimum wage should be $15 an hour all over. Uh, he said, you know, major legislation, in spite of what the oil companies will contribute to, uh, in the area of climate change. So he's taking a, a free college education for everybody. Now, admittedly, much of that is clearly toward socialism and clearly very, very, very expensive. And He's calling for a revolution. You, if you heard the speech the other night, when he, uh, you know, right after the votes were in, he says, we're going to have a revolution. It can't happen with the president, though. It has to come from the people themselves. We need a revolution. So then I look out at the audience, and the audience, of course, is virtually all young people. They want a revolution. I don't think it can be elected today because America isn't there today. And I've said on other occasions... I can't look at the electoral map and see how you can put together 270 electoral votes with that because many, many Americans, even progressive Americans, said we can't have a total revolution because if we have a re revolution, everything we now are accustomed to in our lives will suddenly change. It's Revolutions in the world come about usually through violence. Reform comes through elections, through the peaceful transfer of power from one president, one administration to the next. We do that with no violence in America. But it's hard to find where there's really been a revolution in history that hasn't been violent. And the reason for that is people in power are not going to give up their way of life without a fight. So I think calling for a revolution, it's a great political speech. And I love a lot of those issues, but America isn't there. And I can't see Americans voting for all of that. I mean, they'll say, if you say health insurance is a right, which I firmly, firmly believe, and that is something we should have more taxes on to make sure every American can afford a doctor or get to a doctor, get health care. That's going to be very, very expensive. But then if you add to that that college education should be, public education should be free tuition, that adds another cost to it. In other words, you, you can't have every program, and then finally people are going to say, no, I'm not going to pay that much in taxes, and they're going to say no. But in the future, all these young people that are for Bernie, 10, 15 years from now, they're going to be a majority of the voters. I think that's the future. I don't think the Cruz, the Cruises and the right wing of the Republican Party is the future. They are holding on to office based primarily on cultural issues. 
and that is the last bastion. I mean, Cruz won Iowa because of the Christian right. But eventually, my generation, we're dying out. And the younger generation will say, we're going to have a new America. And it's going to be an America where the system has to be supportive of all these social issues. We are moving towards socialism. Medicare is socialism. So what Bernie Sanders is saying is, if you have Medicare for people 65 and over, why not Medicare for people at the age of one and over? In other words, everyone should be on Medicare. So it's not a change of philosophy. If we can have socialism for seniors, why can't we have socialism for everybody? That's where we're going. You can't yet win an election on that. But Bernie Sanders is the forerunner. That's what history is going to show. He will not be our next president, I believe. But his policies will start to become mainstream. You're already seeing Hillary become, you know, who I like. You're already seeing Hillary start to become, move more and more to the left. The whole premise of our podcast, why we got started, the name of our company is Liberals Always Win. I firmly believe that in the arc of history, in the end, liberals do win. But it isn't going to happen overnight with a revolution. It's going to happen incrementally. First, we'll get the health care. Then we'll get the school, you know, the edge of the college. And then we'll get something else. But it's going to happen. And that is the future. Tape the speech, if you can get a copy of what Bernie Sanders said the night of the Iowa primary. That is America 10 to 15 years from now. I don't know if I'll still be around. That is where America is going. Let's transition to some music, and I'm going to ask Pat Kennedy to come up here, and as Pat's coming up... Let is me... he a communist? No, no he's, a, he's, he's a songwriter. Pat Kennedy is a great friend of ours, and I'm going to brag on him as he's getting his guitar ready. When we started this podcast, because I hang around the Folk School Coffee Parlor all the time, and Jerry Springer was getting to know it as well, though he spends most of his week uh, outside of the greater Cincinnati area, and I heard this song that then became the opening song of our podcast. And you may hear, you will hear at the end on our uh, recorded versions that we thank Pat Kennedy for writing our opening song. So he is well known to us. He's a great guy and a great songwriter. And uh, he's going to open with a song that he wrote called Down to the Delta. Nothing, I got everything I need 
I leave the rest out on the sidewalk by the street. Kennedy, he's really good. And uh, Pat performs a lot of ways. He's got a group called the Who Town Holler. He uh, performs sometimes with uh, Dinah DeVoto, who's here tonight, and sometimes performs solo, uh, writes a lot of music. And here's something kind of interesting. He doesn't live in like a house or like a condo. He lives, and you heard a reference to it in this song, a, a shanty boat. You, you built a shanty boat, didn't you? Yeah. And you live on it. Yes, I do, for two and a half years now. And uh, people, if they go on YouTube, because I, I saw this, mm -hmm. and what, if they just put in Pat Kennedy, they'll find it. How do they find it on YouTube? It's you um, and I think Dinah singing on the boat. You can see this Red boat. Red Cedars, you could Google Red Cedars. Red Cedars. Or uh, Life's a Freak. Or Life's a Freak, a it's song, song he's going to do here in a second. But you got to go to YouTube and check this out. And if you got your phones out right now, just check it out. You live on the shanty boat. Yes. How do you get cable? <laughs> I get. Uh, I don't. I have. Life I get is like three life channels. Is cable. <laughs> no. Do you have? You do have TV. Yeah. Okay. My son gave me his bedroom TV. Gotcha. Yeah. They feel sorry for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell every, you. Every morning at eleven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Jerry Springer TV show. When I saw this boat on YouTube, it's a, it's a very cool boat. I mean, it's yeah. not. I don't know what kind of image people get in their brains when you say you build a shanty boat. It's pretty cool. It was, it's very uh, kind of modeled after Harlan Hubbard, but he didn't have Home Depot and a screw gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, good stuff. I, I don't claim to be as uh, like Harlan Hubbard, but uh, yeah, it's uh, made out of plywood. And I basically needed to retire wow. and didn't, uh, couldn't make enough money to do it, but I could uh, decide to live... Uh, for nothing. And you yeah. live in a marina where there are some I other right boats, now. but you're uh, there year-round, though. Yeah, I'm there year-round. I'm going to move to uh, Shiloh, down the upriver a little bit this spring. Interesting. Yep. And then you corrupted young Maria Corelli, the yep. barista here at uh, Faux School Coffee Parlor, because yep. now she's, she's living on a boat. She's a neighbor. She's yep. a neighbor. 
down at the uh, other. She's at the beginning of the dock. Yeah, she's she in the higher the class area or the lower class area. She's with the rich rap. She's with the rich rap. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay, so life's a freak. Tell us about it. Well, the, I can't sing that. When we went over this, this uh, this is a live broadcast, and it's got an FCC violation in it. Okay. But this one here is called Emmy Lou. Okay. And it's uh, not really about anybody in particular. But gotcha. Pat Kennedy, he's a good friend of this podcast, and uh, his, uh, the Thanks, opening Pat. song we use is called Mountain That Eats Men, and it's really a good song, and we use it just because we love the sound of it. Yep. It doesn't tell, it's, it's a great story, it's one I encourage you to look into too, and it's on, you hear it in the front of all of our podcasts, and uh, hey, can you take us out on Irene Goodnight, Pat? Sure, sure. We appreciate it.
last Saturday night I got married Me and my wife settled down Now me and my wife have parted I think I'll go out on the town You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Sometimes I live in the country. Sometimes I live in town. Sometimes I take a great notion to jump in the river and drown. I ring goodnight. I ring goodnight. Hilda Byrne. Goodnight, I ring goodnight. I ring. I see you in my dreams. Y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone.